Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Monday, September the 27th, and this season we rest in the hope of our Lord, this Pentecost, where we know that the Lord has done it all and His Holy Spirit is leading us. And in this hope, we study the gift of the inspired and true Word of God, and we put on our Christ goggles from Leviticus 11 and 12. One of the great joys of going through Leviticus is I feel like the last few chapters, 8, 9, and 10, have thoroughly showed us the obvious connection of Christ in the Old Testament. It shows us so much about the sacrifices, review of that. We see the ordination of Aaron. We see him going to the temple. Excuse me, I said that wrong. To the tabernacle and all of that. We see the God's glory. And today we come kind of scaled back to much like the offerings and explaining them to give us a rundown of clean and unclean animals and a beginning of purification rites. Now, this is important for us because this text is not necessarily something we need to use for today, but we do have to answer the question, why do we not make these distinctions today? Why are we ones to eat certain foods? Why are we not following the same purification rites that are in the Old Testament? And this is important for us as Christians who see the scriptures in a very serious way, that we believe it is true. And at the same time, how do we always make sure that as Christians, we point it back to Christ? That's what's exciting about chapters 11 and 12, is that we'll dig into that and that it applies to our daily lives. The gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the joy of having back with us Pastor Warren Worth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Pastor Worth, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you once again. I heard a, a good statement here lately, and I thought it pertained to you that if today somehow you would not be on the program, we would be able to say that we are worthless. Is that an appropriate way to say it? <laughs> we have fun with that name. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, without me, you're worthless. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but but I, I always hasten to say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's Jesus. And so while I may be worthless but uh, Jesus is worthy, and he's the one who, uh, by his blood, has washed us clean. And so in him, we are made to be worthy and to stand before the throne of God. And, and that's what it always comes back to. Jesus is the one who cleanses us and makes us worthy. I love it, and that exactly connects with our text today. I thought you'd have fun with that, and, and I know you do as well. So, Pastor, tell us what's going on for you, uh, your family, and the work of the saints at Good Shepherd. Well, thank you. Um, things are going well here, all things considered, with the pandemic still around us and causing uh, changes in how we do things. But we are still able to meet in person in our worship services and uh, share uh, God's gifts in word and sacrament. Uh, my family as well now, too. Thank you. We have had some in our family who have experienced COVID, but by the grace of God, they have all recovered. And we're thankful for that. Some of them are still dealing with some of the lingering things like some fatigue and such like, but uh, by the grace of God, they have come through. And our prayers are certainly with those who are still dealing with the sickness. Uh, here at Good Shepherd, we do have our activities. We have our worship. We have Bible classes. Uh, we have our LWML and Men Club uh, meetings are still taking place. 
we have to do some things a little differently, particularly as we're dealing with uh, what people from the outside are coming in. We don't want to uh, uh, endanger them, and so we're, we're taking the necessary precautions. But at the same time, we are meeting, and we thank God that we're able to meet together. And uh, things are getting a little bit closer to normal, kind of step by step. Uh, we um, talk about this at our elders meeting each month and then prepare people and ask if they're okay if we take the next step, getting a little closer back to normal. So uh, we're, we're grateful that God has sustained us through this, and we trust that he will sustain us in the days ahead. Well, I think all we can say is amen to that. We can all share in that sentiment that we are... You know, there, there's always a little bit of edge this past, excuse me, not this past Sunday, the Sunday before was the first time our congregation had uh, 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 treats and fellowship after worship. And that was just a real joyous time. The second time was this past Sunday. And it was a real joyous time for us to be together. And I'm very thankful that people were very respectful you know, they didn't try to, like, overdo it. They weren't, you know, like, just kind of sneezing everywhere or whatever it might be. And it was it was nice to get back to some normalcy, if I can say it that way. But at the same time, we realized that we always need to pray and to ask the Lord to help us. So thank you for bringing that up. Reminder to our listeners to pray for our churches as they transition. Everywhere is at a different stage. Some are here. Some are there. The big thing is, is that how can we respect and care for all as our Lord has called us in the name of Christ. So, Pastor, in that realm, um, as we pray for our churches, ourselves, can you ask the Lord's blessings upon our study today in prayer? I would be glad to. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Lord God, you created heaven and earth and all it contained. We give you thanks and praise for your good creation. We confess, O Lord, our sin that has brought uncleanness and and harm into the created realm. And we thank you for your word, the Bible, that teaches us of how you dealt with the problem of mankind's sin by sending your son Jesus as our great high priest and as the atoning sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. As we read these chapters in Leviticus today, help us to view them through the lens of the gospel and how Christ has fulfilled the law for us and atoned for all our sins. Help us to learn, to grow in our faith, and also in how to defend that faith in the face of criticism. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to everyone, since Leviticus is something that not all of us have studied extensively, it's always good to ask questions. So if you have any questions based on Leviticus 11 or 12, or anything prior to this in the book, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor Worth, chapters 11 and 12, we're going to go through a lot of information, and it can really get us, we can get kind of caught up on a few words here or there, or a few animals here or there, what you touch and what you don't touch and how you purify. When you look at these chapters 11 and 12, how would you, what is kind of an interpretive key that you would would, uh, emphasize to us today to make sure we're keeping on the right track? Okay, thank you. Yes, I think if our listeners see the big picture here, they'll see that when we get into chapters 11 through 15, we've come to the part of the book that is sort of a manual on ritual purity, on how God's people in the Old Testament, who had been set apart by God to be his special people, were to remain pure by what they were, how they were acting and following his commands 
And as he had, in the earlier chapters, mentioned how their relationship with him would be through blood sacrifice because of mankind's sin. It would require the shedding of blood in substitute for the sinner so that the sinner could be made clean from his sins. In the Old Testament, those animals were sacrificed, but they didn't really take away sin. They pointed forward to Jesus, who would be the ultimate sacrifice, who does take away sin. Likewise, the necessity of a priesthood, uh, people to be mediators who would uh, mediate between the holy God and sinful people and offer those sacrifices on their behalf. And once again, that pointed forward ultimately to Jesus, who is both the great high priest and the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. So that was kind of where this was headed. And now as we get into talking about clean and unclean animals, uh, the need for purification after childbirth, the need for purification in regard to other things such as skin diseases and things like this that will be in the following chapters, all of this comes back to the idea that sin has really broken all of creation and affects all of life. And uh, there's only it's only through God and through his covenant, which finds its ultimate fulfillment in the coming of Jesus, our Savior, that there is uh, a remedy for the problem of mankind's sin, which affects our life, it affects our bodies, it affects what we eat, it affects uh, how we come into this world in uh, procreation and, and childbirth, and all the way through until we die. Uh, all of that is seen as we go through these chapters and see how God wants to see that sin has uh, affected everything in creation, our whole life from beginning to end, and only through uh, the covenant God from Yahweh, who in his grace chose his people and promised to send a savior. That's how we have the remedy to this problem of our sin, so that ultimately, ultimately we are made purif purified and cleansed in the sight of God and acceptable to him to enter into his eternal kingdom where there will be no more sin, no more death, and we long for that day to come. And so see it in the big picture there of the whole Bible from beginning to end. So I think one of the, one of the great realities you pointed to with this is that, we, is that we are indeed sinful and unclean. I mean, this, goes, this is in our hymnal in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, you know, that I am, I, am, I am sinful and unclean. And there's times where in our culture we try very hard in our talks to say, well, I'm not that bad. And when I was reading this 11 and 12, I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm that bad. <laughs> That that all these things of uncleanliness is not only what's in my own heart, but it's what surrounds me. If we really look at it, there's so much. Why do I wash my hands so much? Why do I take showers? Why do I do this? It's because we realize how there's so much um, there's so much just junk around that we need to be made clean. And this is just a good reminder of it. And and you really point us to well, ultimately, like you said, the sacrifices that were needed points us to Christ. The grain offerings points us to Christ. The ordination points us to Christ. And now, I mean, why do you even need priests? Because you are unclean. And so they need holiness. And as Dr. Kleinig started our time in Leviticus, he said Leviticus is all about the Lord's holiness coming to his people. And after 11 and 12, if you don't think you're unholy, well, then maybe we're not reading it right or something. So um, that's kind of where we are. Any last thoughts before we dig in? 
I think you covered it well. <laughs> you as well, Pastor. Since we have many, many verses today, we are going to be reading substantial portions as we go through. Now, a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and I encourage you not to get lost in the weeds. Let the word hit you, and don't get caught up with one word at a time or so, because we're going through a lot of words. So verses 1 through 19 is where we'll start. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts of the hoof and is cloven-footed, and choose the cud among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters." Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or rivers that has not not fins and scales, of swarming creatures in the waters, the living creatures that are in the waters, is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that has no not fins and scales is detestable to you. And these shall not and these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little oil, the coromant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the towny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hope. Hoop O and the Bat. Whew, I'm going to take a breath here, Pastor. Where do you want to begin as we look at the unclean animals? Okay. Well, if we want to begin at the beginning, notice that it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Oh. This is the first time in Leviticus where the Lord speaking also to Aaron. Previously, it was the Lord spoke to Moses. Why the change? Well, we saw what happened in the previous chapter with the matter of the priesthood and the sacrifices and people... Um, not supposed to invent their own forms of worship, offering unauthorized fire and so forth. And so now Aaron is going to be the one as the high priest who will be in charge of teaching Israel these rules for ritual purity, and the one uh, through whom when people are unclean and need to make sacrifices for their cleansing, it's the priesthood that will be involved in making those sacrifices and regulating the worship practices of the Jews. So that's kind of a significant thing right there. Then when uh, we get into this matter of the living things that you may eat, we'll see that uh, Moses talked about these in groups. So we have the four-legged critters, four-legged land animals that are talked about first. And then beginning with the first nine, we get into the things that are in the water. So whether in rivers and streams or the sea and lakes, that those sea creatures, uh, seafood would be the next category. And then uh, winged creatures, particularly birds, although they do include the bat in there. So um, 
those flying creatures are next named. And we did not continue after that, but we will. And we get into things of insects. We don't tend to think of those as things that you would eat, but some people do eat them, and so they get named as well as swarming things. And finally, he gets down to things like you know, rats and moles and snakes and lizards and things like that. So he kind of works through these things in an organized fashion. And so the first would be the ones that would seem more obvious. Uh, Jews, Israelites, ate these things uh, or uh, these types of four-legged creatures, and so do we, at least some of them. And so the distinction that the Lord makes in the first grouping has to do with if it's a a four-legged creature, like a mammal, uh, we're going to say if it has a cloven hoof and chews the cud, that's your basic distinction. That would be clean, clean for eating, clean for sacrificing. But creatures that don't have those two characteristics would be considered unclean. So, and he gives examples. So he mentions the camel and the rock badger and uh, the hare and the pig as examples. They have one of the features. Maybe they have a cloven hoof, but they don't chew the cud, or they chew the cud, but they don't have a cloven hoof. So he's giving examples of how one would know, can I eat this? Can I not eat this? Is this a clean animal for sacrifice or is it unclean so it cannot be sacrificed? So that's the, the basic breakdown in the first case. You mentioned about not getting hung up on words, and we won't want to get too far down a rabbit hole here, but sometimes people do ask a question because people who are critics of the Bible say, ah, we found a mistake in the Bible because he talks about the hare chewing the cud, but hares are not really ruminants, and camels are not really ruminants either in the same way that cows and sheep and goats are. Well, I think people uh, can work themselves up into a lather over nothing here, because it's not so much about looking at this as a anatomist would. If you're in a biology class and you're dissecting the animal and you say, well, here we've got multiple stomachs and here we don't, that's not really the, the issue, is it? It's people looking at animals as they see them in daily life and being able to distinguish, is this one considered clean or is it considered unclean? So it's how would an ordinary person in the days of Moses look at a camel or a hare or a rock badger and determine, is this acceptable or not? And the rule of thumb that is given here is by appearances, it appears to chew the cud. So even if it does not truly have a multiple uh, compartment uh, digestive system that a true ruminant has, that's really not the point. And, and for those who are really into uh, scientific exploration here, recent things have shown that, that rabbits apparently eat their own droppings and therefore they re-digest it <laughs> by giving it another chance to go through the, their digestive system and it is like ruminating <laughs> as they re-chew all this stuff and re-digest it. So I, I think one doesn't want to get too worried about that because the, the simple explanation is Moses was describing these things as ordinary Israelite would see them and experience them so they would have their rule of thumb uh, handily there to remember. Now as we look at the the, the, the animals in the water, so you have fins and okay. scales, those are good. But it talks about the mm-hmm. other ones. Give us an example of other sea creatures that would not be clean. Okay, things that would be considered unclean would be things like eels, oysters, 
crustaceans, which would be like shrimp and lobster and uh, and shellfish like clams and mussels and scallops. Those would, things would not be considered clean. Mm. It had to have fins and scales. So at, from the standpoint of a modern-day seafood lover, that would be rather limiting. But again, it was what the Lord commanded, and, and you followed what the Lord said there. Uh, so it, it's rather striking that he uses a stronger word here, both in this, this regard and when he got to the birds, and talks about them as being detestable, okay. and that you shall detest these things. Um, that's a rather strong word to use regarding something that you just say, well, God says I can't eat it, so I won't eat it. But uh, is there, and I, I really don't have a good explanation for why that should appear so detestable. Maybe with the bird that would seem, particularly those are birds of prey, if you look at verses 13 and following, many of them are birds of prey, and some of them also eat uh, roadkill, right? So they, they're, it's, uh, they're scavengers, they, they eat carrion, and so these eating dead stuff and cleaning up all the dead animals around there is uh, rather off-putting, and so that might make them more detestable to a person in that regard. And some of them, if you get to the... Uh, some of these are not even well-known. If you uh, read Bible commentaries and stuff, there's not always total agreement on what each Hebrew word actually means. So you can come with different translations that have slightly different uh, words that they use for each of these creatures. They're like the the hoopo that you mentioned at the lab. I thought, what's a hoopo? So yeah. I looked that up, and uh, you can find a Wikipedia article about it, but it's easy. And it's kind of interesting when you get to the uh, story about the hoopo, they have a secretion that they use as a defense mechanism, and it smells like rotting meat, and it is thought to help deter predators as well as deter parasites and possibly act as an antibacterial agent. So you know, while the Bible does not explain why this thing is considered clean and this is unclean, other than this is what the Lord himself commands, um, one might speculate that if you had a bird that smells like rotting meat, <laughs> that it might be considered detestable, <laughs> and you wouldn't want to go there in terms of eating it or touching it. And it, it does give us a, there is this simple fact that as you go through this list, there's, there's some of these animals, you're like, yeah, I wouldn't eat them anyways. And so it's, it's a good practical advice that you probably don't want to eat this animal or that animal, especially if they have a, you know, a smell of burning flesh or dying flesh or whatever it might be. Not something I think would be real enjoyable when you go out for a fancy dinner with your wife. Be my guess. Be my guess. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think not. <laughs> so let's keep. Indeed. But let's, I, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, but when the question arises, is there really a particular reason? Is it is it a matter of hygiene? Was God trying to protect people from like trichinosis that you shouldn't eat the pigs and stuff like this? You know, there isn't an explanation given in Scripture, so we have to be cautious about. Uh, reading into the Bible right. our own ideas from the outside. Exactly. Uh, it, it is enough for God's people to say, if God says it's clean, it's clean. If God says it's unclean, it's unclean. One may find other reasons, like medical reasons, uh, hygienic reasons, and so forth, that would make sense. And certainly, God was setting his people apart from the peoples around them. And so this certainly would mark them as his holy people, separated from others, because there would be surrounding cultures that would eat some of these creatures, even ones that we might consider 
even naturally to be off-putting, detestable. But the, the whole point was God set his people apart to be his peculiar people. And even what they ate and what they wore and how they acted and how they worshiped was part of being set apart by God. And for again, to be the people through whom the Messiah would come. That that's again keep keep in mind, keep in view the whole idea that from uh, Genesis until the New Testament, the whole view is that God is going to send the promised Messiah through these people. And so the worship practices, their diet, and all these other things ultimately are setting them apart as his special people. Here's what I'm going to do is we have a few minutes before our break. I'm going to read 20 through 40, and then we can, we can come back to that on the other side of our break. But I want to keep us moving forward. So verse 20, and we'll okay. go through verse 40. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the wind insects that go on all fours, you may eat those who have jointed legs above their feet, with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all, the walk, and all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground, the mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening, and anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is in an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose, it must be put into water, and it should be unclean until the evening, then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into the earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food that is in it that could be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in, peace, in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. We've heard the word, and now it's time for us to take our break. I want us to touch on a few practical realities of this text when we come into trial. 
It's where we are studying Leviticus chapters 11 and 12 with Pastor Warren Worth, and we will be right back. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapters 11 and 12 with Pastor Warren Wirth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. And Pastor, I wanted to take a little bit of a step back and to think about something that's happened for the church over the last 10, 20 years or so. And that is Leviticus 10, or excuse me, 11 and 12 has been used as a club. And the scenario is like this, and I want to hear your thoughts. The scenario is when we're going through many of the debates about what is marriage, not only in the church, but also in culture, we were talking about how marriage, um, which we believe in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, based on the scriptures, that marriage is between a man and a woman, um, uh, that, that, that's what equals a marriage. That anything outside of that or any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage is, is sinful and not in the eyes of God as good and pleasing. And this is why uh, we're making these arguments, and you go to Leviticus 19, and you talk about you know, the, the sins that it highlights there and of same sex and other, other types of sexual immorality. And people would then say, when you use that text, well, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. I notice here in chapter 11 that you're not supposed to eat shrimp. You know, and not lobster, not these other things that are in the, in the sea. But yet, there I saw you go to Red Lobster the other day. Obviously, you don't actually believe the Word of God. And that really, that really um, handcuffed a number of people in something that we needed to address better as a church. So, Pastor, as you hear that interpretive understanding, how, what, how are we as Christians to look at that in the whole of Scripture and to be able to address that better than we did? Well, thank you. That's a wonderful question to uh, contemplate, and I think we need to help our parishioners and our listeners come to a right understanding of these things. The basic rule should always be that Scripture interprets itself. We don't want to force our own ideas into the sacred text and try to distort the Word of God to say what it does not say. And when you let the Bible speak for itself, everything eventually gets straightened out for you, and that's the case here as well. So what you find out is that there are different types of laws in the Old Testament text. The law that God gave uh, through Moses included not only the moral law, like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, and so forth, but it also included ceremonial law. And much of what we're looking at right now in Leviticus is of that nature, ceremonial law, and there's also political law that applied only to the people in the Old Testament. These things that are talked about that we're reading today, these rules about ritual purity and clean and unclean food 
and uh, but also all the holy days, you know, Passover and Day of Atonement and all the other things that we're going to read about uh, in Leviticus are the rules that God gave for his people to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And it was setting them apart as his special people. It reminded them of their sin and their uncleanness and their need for cleansing, and that that cleansing would come through the sacrifice of a substitute. And that substitute would not just be a bull or a lamb or a goat. It would be the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Son of God, who would be offered up as the one perfect sacrifice to take away all sin and all uncleanness forever by his death and by his resurrection. And so when you read the whole Bible, okay, read Old Testament and New Testament, and you'll see that this Levitical law, these these rules and regulations regarding clean and unclean food and holy days and, and uh, ritual uncleanness, find their fulfillment in the coming of Jesus. So it wasn't just that God said, oh, I'm tired of that. It's that they had to be fulfilled. They served a purpose showing the need for a Savior, and when that Savior actually came and fulfilled all that the law demanded, okay, then they had served their purpose and were done away. And so the New Testament itself says that. We didn't just make this up. If you read uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he deals with that issue, and then he talks about the fact that let no man judge you in regard to meat or drink, uh, new moons and Sabbath days, okay? And his point is that these were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so they fulfilled, were fulfilled by Christ. They, did, they fulfilled their purpose. Their purpose was accomplished once Jesus came, fulfilled the law for us, suffered and died for us, and rose again. So now that is done away. It's not a matter of uh, having to do that anymore. Again, the Lord made that abundantly clear to Peter. And it was hard for the apostles even to kind of get this when uh, Jesus had said, go make disciples of all nations. And when you go through the Acts of the Apostles, you know, they start by preaching the gospel to fellow Jews to bring them to faith in Jesus as the promised Messiah. But to cross that barrier and also preach the gospel to non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, was a hard thing. And in Acts chapter 10, the Lord gave a special vision to Peter, who was uh, on the roof of a house where he was staying, and a sheet came down from heaven filled with all kinds of unclean animals. Uh, and he hears a voice from heaven saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, No way, Lord, I would never eat anything unclean. And then the Lord says, Don't you call unclean what I have made clean. And he sees this vision three times, and then the sheet's taken up to heaven, and then there's a knock on the door. And wouldn't you know, there are three Gentiles who have come to, from the home of the Roman centurion Cornelius who are asking Peter to come and bring them the Word of God. And he goes with them, which he wouldn't have done had he not seen that vision. And when he goes and preaches the gospel to Cornelius and all those gathered in his house, the Holy Spirit uh, fills them all and the people then get baptized, and Peter and those with him are amazed that God even grants repentance and faith and forgiveness to non-Jewish people, people he would have considered unclean and unfit. But now God is also making them clean through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And so when you bring it back to the big picture, all that the Bible says, the Bible interprets itself and shows that these Levitical laws 
have been fulfilled. They did what they were supposed to do, and once Christ came and fulfilled the law and suffered and died and rose again, that is no longer binding on us. Now, back to the question of moral law, like what is marriage? You know, again, the Bible interprets itself. Did that pass away when Jesus came? Not at all. Read what Jesus says about marriage. Read what the apostles in the New Testament say about marriage and the proper use of our sexuality. And again and again, it reinforces the fact that marriage is still one man and one woman, one flesh for life. That is God's plan for marriage. Jesus takes you back to Genesis and says, have you never read that in the beginning he made them male and female and said the two shall be one? So that's your answer for what is marriage. It hasn't changed. Jesus, who fulfilled the law, including the Levitical law, is the one who says this is what marriage is. And his apostles, like the Apostle Paul, for example, warns us against the sins both of heterosexual immorality and homosexual immorality. And again, we call sinners to repentance so that they may be forgiven by Christ and walk in the newness of life to which we are called in Christ. Reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. I do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that's a, how you um, explained the laws, the ceremonial, the moral, the political, is a good distinction for us to always keep in our back pockets. Because when you look at the whole of Scripture, we understand that you don't interpret Revelation the same way you interpret the Psalms. You don't interpret, just like in our world, you don't interpret the newspaper the same way that you would interpret poetry that you'd read from Edgar Allan Poe or something. Is that it's different, and you have you look at it through different interpretive lenses, and you've prepared us very well, Pastor, for us to look at this and to realize that Christ fulfilled it. When we look at the Ten Commandments, it isn't Jesus saying, oh, by the way, you, know, you can murder now since I've died for all your sins. No, that, that's never. it's reaffirmed over and over again in the New Testament, um, but there is not reaffirmed, like you said in Acts chapter 10. It's not reaffirmed to say, and by the way, you still can't eat lobster. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say that in there. And so it's something for us to take it very serious, ultimately seeing Christ in the text. Um, anything else on one that? More thing. Go ahead. One, one more thing I would like to add, yes, and that is, I think for those who uh, want to consider the historical uh, evidences of all of this, too, consider how important and how central that in the Old Testament, the tabernacle until the building of the temple. And the temple in Jerusalem was a big deal. That's where the priesthood you know, fulfilled his duties. That's where the sacrifices were made. And what happened after Jesus Christ died on the cross? When Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, And then in the year 70 AD, the temple was completely destroyed, which, as Jesus himself had predicted. And so the temple in Jerusalem has been completely destroyed and has never, to this day, been rebuilt. The Jewish priesthood is done away. The sacrifices that had to take place at the temple are done away. They are no more, because Jesus, for 2,000 years. So Jesus did it all, and that historical reality points to the fact that, you know, Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the priesthood. Jesus is a sacrifice. He fulfilled it all. So look to Jesus uh, for the answers here and, and look to what Jesus himself teaches, he himself and through his holy apostles. And that's where you're going to find the moral life and the instructions for the moral life that we have 
as those who are redeemed, restored, forgiven, and sanctified to walk as his cleansed people. As we go back to the text, thank you for that, uh, Pastor. Very, very helpful as we continue to look at this verse. Good, and as I say, the interpreta- interpretive key as we look at everything. But 20 through 40, any thoughts on this? You have, uh, uh, you have wind insects. I can't say that everywhere. Wind insects. You have carcasses. You have swarming things. Anything you want to highlight? Um, once again, it's a continuation of what we had said before, and things that you, know, you and I might not think of eating bugs, <laughs> yeah. but people to this day in other cultures do. And so here God stipulated which things were uh, on his clean list and his unclean list. Then when it comes to the insect, there are things like grasshoppers and locusts, because they jump were clean, and you think of John the Baptist, he ate locusts and wild honey, so that was uh, something that he did eat locusts, Um, but other other kinds of insects were off base, and then certain other things like snakes and geckos and lizards and stuff, guys that don't eat those, so uh, it, it, it basically comes back down to God was stipulating for his people what he considered to be clean and unclean for them to eat. And to sacrifice. And when you get to verse 44, as uh, Dr. Kleinig pointed out, here you have this repetition. For I, the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves. And that's the whole thing. He reminds himself in verse 45, you know, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. And I find it interesting, the idea of the carcass and not touching the carcass. And that's, and that's, uh, um, that's something that we obviously are thinking about in our everyday life as well. If something dies, you don't really want to touch it. There are certain people that do. But here, it really is something that you, you even touch it. You have a certain amount of time that you're unclean. Um, and it, I think it's just something we can fully understand as we look at it. Any thoughts on, on the carcass and, and, and not to touch it and, and the uncleanliness of it? Okay, sure, sure. Uh, one of the things, he, he mentions even some of the clean animals that previously were mentioned as things you can eat. The point is, if you find it dead, you can't eat it. Now it's unclean. So it's one thing for you to take the lamb or the cow and to slaughter it and to eat it, but to go out and find an animal lying out in the field that's already dead and then think, that, oh, I can eat this. He said, no, no, now it's unclean. You cannot eat that, and even if you touch it, you're unclean. And then he mentions the things that, you know, if it falls on in the water in your jug in your house and things like that, these unclean things like lizards and so forth, that they get in those things, then that's unclean too and needs to be made clean. And if you touch it, you're unclean. And again, it, it comes back to what we were saying before. It's astonishing how many things would make you unclean. And the need for cleansing is more than just uh, what a germaphobe (laughs) would be. This is not just about medical cleanness and medical sanitation stuff, although certainly that may have been a factor. One wouldn't say that it's entirely uh, out of consideration there. But primarily it's it's about liturgical, uh, ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness and being made unclean and needing to follow what the Lord says to be made clean and separated. Because holiness is being separated, separated from what is unclean and unholy and unfit, 
and set apart for the Lord, for holiness, for what is clean, to be acceptable to him. And again, it's kind of like an elaborate uh, object lesson, (laughs) pointing out that we need the Lord to make us clean and to be clean on his terms, in his way, as he provides. Um, And that certainly is driven home by each of these things. So let's finish out chapter 11, and we can talk a little bit more of what you, what you brought up before, this holiness understanding where the Lord God is holy, and he calls us to be holy. So 41 till the end of chapter 11. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly, and whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, (laughs) and you shall not defy yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy." This is a law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground. To make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that they may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. So, Pastor, as you said before, he, he establishes who he is. I'm the Lord your God. He establishes a call to us to be holy as he is holy and establishes what he does, which is, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is a fascinating part of, of chapter 11 because it brings us back to God. What, what are your thoughts on, on that? It, it always brings us back to, to the true God, Yahweh, who had set his people apart, brought them out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves, brought them on the way to the promised land where he would establish them. Uh, and fulfill all that he had promised them and all that he had promised the world through them that he would send a Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that's important to bear that all in mind. So, all, again, all these laws about ritual purity and, and the like, clean and unclean foods, ultimately need to come be brought back to the Lord and his holiness and his calling his people to be his own special, peculiar people, set apart from all the nations of the world, to obey him. And this obedience ultimately gets us back to the matter of the heart, does it not? That if, if one falls into the trap of thinking, I can do all these things and earn my way into God's favor, I can earn my way into heaven because I'll obey and keep all these rules and regulations, as if that's what it boils down to, you're barking up the wrong tree. And those of us who have the three-year lectionary read every Sunday in our churches, that was a subject just a few Sundays ago when we were reading Mark chapter 7, and uh, the Jewish people that were criticizing Jesus and his disciples because some of Jesus' disciples ate with unwashed hands. Mm. And that's not something that was part of God's Levitical law. God had not specifically uh, said something about that, but that was something added by the tradition of the elders, and they thought they were building a hedge around what God said so that people could really be holy by not even coming close to breaking God's actual commandments. And Jesus uh, has a very harsh reply 
to those who wrongly criticized Jesus and his disciples, and he called them hypocrites. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, for their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so Jesus warns them about uh, hypocrisy and, and this self-righteousness and making rules that God did not make and thinking you're saved by rules and by your own good works. And then he goes on several verses later and says there's nothing outside a person that by going into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And you can imagine that would really be surprising to the disciples who were familiar with Leviticus 11. They're thinking, what? I mean, don't all these things defile you by going in? Mm -hmm. And here's the point. You see, it's not really those things in and of themselves that would make you unclean. It's what's going on in your heart. Are you believing in the Lord? Are you trusting in the Lord? Do you fear, love, and trust the Lord and want to respond to him by keeping his commandments? Or is something else going on? So then Jesus makes it clear uh, when he says, um, you see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. And then there's a parenthetical statement there that uh, Mark adds. He says, thus he declared all foods clean. Ah, it kind of goes back to our previous discussion here, that in the New Testament, once it's all fulfilled, now you can eat other things, because God himself has freed that up for us. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So uh, I think that helps to put this side by side with what we're reading here. Yes, God required this of his Old Testament people. This is clean, this is unclean. Eat this, don't eat that. And a, a repentant, believing child of God in the Old Testament would, out of reverence for the Lord, follow those rules. Now those rules have all been fulfilled in Christ, and Jesus is pointing out the real matter is the matter of your heart. Where is your heart? If Are you thinking you can save yourself by keeping a bunch of rules? then you're missing the whole point. The whole thing is to repent of your sins, look and realize that out of our hearts, out of our sinful hearts, come all these icky things, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and the like. And notice that there's only cleansing from all of that through Jesus. And so our heart ultimately is not going to invent rules and make regulations that are going to save us. It leads us to Christ as we repent of our sins and look to him for cleansing, and then thank God that we can eat the foods that he provides and receive our daily bread with thanksgiving and devote our lives to him and say, Lord, cleanse my heart and cleanse my life so that I can respond to your goodness with a life of obedience to that which you tell me, which includes the moral law to which we had alluded earlier. So I think what we need to do, we have about five minutes left is do chapter 12 to read through that. We'll talk about purification. And as you said so well, there is that reality that what comes out of the heart is what makes someone unclean, not what goes in. And, I, and I'll, I'll say this quickly before I get to chapter 12, is it, how can we not then think about the Lord's Supper in the midst of this? Or the, you know, that when we receive that, it's holiness that we receive that goes in. 
and and brings that cleansing, brings that new life. So, Pastor, in about 30 seconds, any thoughts on that, the connection to the Lord's Supper that would be quite powerful? I, I think you said it very well. So, mm-hmm. so the uncleanness comes out of our sinful hearts, but the cleansing comes from the outside. That cleansing comes from Jesus, our great high priest. And isn't it wonderful that he does come into us in giving us his true body and his true blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of our sins, that does cleanse us and creates in us a new and clean heart that then can respond to God with good works. Let's continue to read chapter 12. And now, like you said, we're introduced to purification rites. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for burnt offering, and a pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law of her for her who bears a child, either male or female. If she cannot afford a lamb... Then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Now, this is this is interesting. You know, I've, I've you know I have four children, and so you know that there's messiness when you, when it involves having a child. There's there's just messiness that's around, uh, and and it gets very personal in this in this situation. Any thoughts on the purification that it speaks about here? Ultimately, this is not about a moral uncleanness. In this case, those people think that having children makes you morally unclean. But it has going back to the idea in the in Old Testament that the shedding of blood makes you unclean. And we're going to see in the succeeding chapters other kinds of uh, the issuance of, of bodily fluids you know, can make a person unclean. And so that's kind of the, the picture here that, that even in the beautiful uh, gift of God, the miracle of, of giving birth, that still there in this sin-broken world, we're considered unclean because of the shedding of blood and so on. And so that stipulates, here. God stipulates what it takes for the woman, having given birth, to be clean. And it's interesting, not explained by God in the text, but interesting that for a male child, you know, it's uh, 33 days, and for the female child, 66 days, to be uh, purified from the blood uh, of the, the that was shed during the, the, the childbearing and, and the issuing of blood thereafter. Um, it, we would be remiss if we didn't point out that, again, all of this is fulfilled in Jesus, right? He mentions circumcision there, right? Verse 3, on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. When you go to Luke chapter 2, the story of the birth of Jesus, we also have the fact that after eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. That was when his blood was first shed for us sinners, when he was circumcised. And um, 
it's a wonderful thing in which now we are circumcised to the circumcision not made by hands in our baptism, as the Apostle Paul says. So all of us who are baptized into Christ have received that circumcision, the benefit of what Christ did for us. And likewise, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is presented as the temple. You read Luke chapter 2, verses 22 and following, and then Mary and Joseph bring the child Jesus into the temple. And uh, for that very purpose, that the sacrifice will be made as the law required. And it's interesting that it mentions particularly a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So apparently Mary and Joseph were poor and were following what the Lord says here regarding the sacrifice made by a poor person who couldn't afford a lamb to be sacrificed for the purification of the mother. And think of the significance of that. Because who was at the temple that day, that little child that Simeon picked up in his arms? Jesus, the Lamb of God. God himself provided the Lamb who was in the temple that day and who eventually would, on the cross, be sacrificed to purify us all from our sins and make us his blood-bought, forgiven people. I think one final thought before we get to the end is here's this woman and the uncleanliness of a menstrual cycle and bleeding and you go you can't I can't help but think of Mark 5 when the woman has been bleeding for 12 years and she touches the hem of his robe and she is healed and it's just kind of that reminder of I, I heard a sermon on that once just making those connections of how Christ has fulfilled the law and has made you clean. And here we see a real-life story that connects to that. That isn't a direct connection. It doesn't say, oh, by the way, it says this in Leviticus. But it sure shows us the cleanliness that comes from the Lord Jesus. Pastor, in about 30 seconds, how would you summarize these two chapters? I would summarize these chapters as pointing for the fact that God is demonstrating in a very concrete way that Sin has broken the world and brought uncleanness into this world. And it's only through the Lord himself, Yahweh, the God of the covenant, uh, that cleansing is to happen. He talks about clean and unclean food. He talks about how to be purified after childbearing and so forth. But all of this is really about our need to be made clean in the way that it comes only through the fulfillment of God's covenant in Jesus Christ. He is the sin-bearer. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He cleanses us from our sins so that now we may eat and live forever as he allows us to eat from the tree of life and uh, live forever by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately what it's all about, the cleansing that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Pastor Warren Worth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri, pointing us to God's grace in Leviticus 11 and 12. Pastor Worth, thank you for giving us the gifts. You're welcome. Saints of our Lord, as he said so well, you are made clean in Christ. As we look at the robes, the white robes in heaven, we realize that they have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And what are they looking at? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what makes us clean in then and it does now. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <laughs>